Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. But we are, we are continuing and uh, for the last three, four weeks, we've been looking at this thing of what this is what we do. This is what we do, but not just this is what we do, we do it because of who He is our great king, our father in heaven, and his great story of the gospel, and the big story of the gospel doesn't just allow us to carry on with our little stories, he pulls us into his story. And who God is, when I read the word, he is a generous father who gave his son, who keeps giving his goodness, who gives the Holy Spirit into us, and wants to keep pouring out over his kids. When we get that understanding, he then pulls us into his story, which is a story of actually sometimes irrational generosity. Sometimes actually we're going to give because of who he is, not because it makes sense, not because of any other detail, but because of who our God is. This is just what we do. Along the series, I've shared with you some intimate family moments about what we do as our family. There are some more. Some of you are like, wow, that's serious. It's not that serious. One of them is called the card swipe. It's when you have a membership at Discovery Gym and you don't actually want to do gym but you have to swipe it. And so what you do is you walk in, you smile, they swipe your card, you get all the discovery points you need, and then you just walk around the desk. But I broke that this week. I actually ventured upstairs and exercised. I know. I know. Strategy was clever. Take someone more unfit than you with you. It worked. And it's... um, but as we do in the series, I've had amazing conversations when we've already started to see this, this amazing, amazing generosity begin to flow. And this incredible story that Proverbs speaks to us says, actually, the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. I don't know why I'm doing that. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. And the world of the, the generous gets bigger and bigger. The gospel, at the essence of the gospel, is not just stay the same, do a whole bunch of things. At the essence of the gospel is enter into God's story and where there's salvation life, which means a spacious place, God pulls us into a spaciousness in our lives. It's not just a financial reality. It's an everything. Are you stingy with your time? Are you stingy with, with your, your emotions? I'm just not an emotional person, so my wife must just deal with her emotions. I'm being serious. God's saying he wants us to be people who are generous, where we will grow and we will go on journeys to be like him. And as we go on those journeys, he pulls us into a bigger story and he breaks cycles in our lives, cycles of smallness. And, and I've put the picture up. Maybe we can pop it up again. Sorry, I've changed the order, Marcus. But one of the cycles is a cycle of survivorship. It's a cycle where actually we buy into a world that says actually it's all about consuming, pull it back, and then because we are consumers, we end up lacking because we eat both the bread God speaks about in 2 Corinthians 9 and the seed. We eat both. When we're supposed to plant the seed for future harvest, we eat that. We go into a world that says consume it now because you don't know what tomorrow holds. And then we pull and we end up in fear. And then we kick into the cycle again because fear is driving us. God says, actually, I want my word to come into that story. And I want that tension, that cycle to break in your life. Why? Because I want to call out the son and the daughter who looks more like me. It's a big issue. And we've said it a number of times. Jesus speaks 2,500 times. He's 2,500 verses around finances. It's a big issue. It's a big issue. And we've got to get in a system where we kick into his system, which says, actually, we give. And another way of writing that is we become like him. We just become like him. 
God gave. We become like him. We pull into his story, and then he takes us on a dynamic, which we want to speak about, which is the God, the multiplier effect. The God who is the multiplier, he wants to multiply his life and his goodness in our lives, but he wants to pull us into a story and cut those tensions, and then faith grows in our story. But as we've done this, we've had a number of people who've come, and we as a community want to partner in going further and going beyond our four walls. So like we did last year, as part of our rhythm as a church, we want to give people opportunity to give into that. And what it's called is sowing in summer. Maybe we can shoot to those. We did it last year, and it was amazing. And here's the commitment from our side. None of these finances will go to running the church, from staffing to facilities to anything. Not a cent. Every cent will go beyond our borders and beyond our walls, into programs in the city, into church plants and church advancement, kingdom advancement, and then into the poor. So we can make sure that people within our community and with our community are fed. But I honestly believe sometimes you can't do a four or five week series and not give people opportunity to partake and be a part of something corporate, something big. And before 2 Corinthians 9, where we see that incredible scripture that teaches us how to be those people, he speaks about actually, but he calls us on many amazing things and, the possible, and he, he writes this amazing things, but excel in the grace of giving. I want to write it. See that you also, he says, but since you excel in everything, in speech, in faith, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. And this is not just, again, not a single cent will come to the life of this church. And I said in this series we'd present the finances. The only problem is we have to finish the financial year to give you the growths and that. So we're going to do that on Vision Sunday at the beginning of Feb in completeness. But I do have one slide that can give you an idea of how we spend the money. Would that be helpful? It's, it's just like, I don't know, it's, it's churches like, how do they spend the money? How do, can we pop up that, that slide? It's not a great slide. I've been out of business for a while, so my Excel graph skills are not what they used to be. Actually, they're exactly what they used to be. <laughs> they just haven't grown. And, um, but, but if you look at the slide, it might be quite hard for you to see, but we've got five categories. The first one is a blue line that's kind of at the bottom, and it's a line that is growing. It's called Ministries and Special Events where three years ago, we spent only about 5% of our income on ministries and special events. And over the years, we have taken that up to about 13%, not of our income, of our all expenditure, is, is made up of ministries and special events, where we are focusing on things like reaching out, things like pouring into community, reaching out, and also reaching out events to see that we can host people well. Someone made a comment the other day when we have our starting point, said, gee, the church is doing well, eh? Look at the char. Says, no, we just have Jenny Ambler and her team of Hanley and the others who are incredible at hosting, and we believe in generosity. So we believe that actually want to model that at every level ongoingly. So even Friday night, a volunteer's moment, we believe that actually part of that is to celebrate what God and the gifts God has given. And so this is, the, again, we'll do a far more comprehensive thing next year. The next one is hot for the house. It's that orange line that kind of goes up and then comes down 2016, 2017. We actually haven't spent a lot of money on this house. Heart for the house is furniture, it's buildings, it's sound equipment, and, the, and those things. We actually spend about 6% of our total expenditure is on the facilitating the house, and that includes the Milneton venue. We have an amazing, amazing facility at Milneton that they have been very generous with us in facilitating. But I just hope, I want, I want you to know that this is where the money gets spent. The next one is beyond, is keeping the lights on. It's that green one, uh, which is still under 20%, which is, you know what? They don't give us this electricity for free. 
honest, I've asked. They just don't, and they won't. And then we get a water leak. That's why there's sand out the front, because there's a water leak, and we've got to pay for that too. And, and there's all these processes. We actually, to facilitate life kids and to, to make sure the facilities are great, and we want to make sure that they are clean and helpful for the facility. And even things like we've put um, cameras in the, in the life kids facilities, and this whole part of the building, and the car park. So be careful how you drive. We've got you on camera. But... Um, has got under, under camera surveillance. Why? Because we actually believe we're called to protect our kids. And, and it protects our staff as well, which is amazing. And so that's, that line we've kept consistent, and we're fighting to keep in growing economic realities. We fight and keep those. But probably the two that, that I want to stress in the areas where we want to invest, and then the, the yellow line is the reality of staffing costs in the life of the church and facilitating everything, which is always the biggest cost in the life of a church. It used to be at about 62%. It's come under 50%. And our desire and our commitment is to make sure that we manage that and keep bringing that down so we can keep spending on the area that is the white one beyond the walls, where we've gone from about 10%, and it's actually a bit higher than that. It's about 8, 16%, 17%. Where 17% of all that we expend is outside of our benefit. It's not this building. It's not our ministries. It's not our staff. It's beyond us. And it looks like these things. Church plants, we invest and support others who are planting kingdom stories, even if they don't have the name Life Changes. We love doing that. Other church stories, sowing into churches who are adventure, advancing, and ministries that are advancing beyond that. And outside of that, um, areas where we can help um, the poor is part of that. And, and if it's separate to almsgiving, if you give alms and you type alms, tick alms on, on an envelope, that is a separate fund. It goes directly to the poor. This is our giving out of the income of the church straight to the poor within our church and without and supporting some of those things. And that has grown. And in this climate and economy, it's amazing that it has, but 16% is not enough. God wants us to, to help. And I believe part of the giving, the grace of giving, is not actually about us. This is not an appeal for us, not a cent will go to us. This is so that we can be a better sign and wonder to the world around us. So we can do more in the ministries that we are part of already, that we can partner more financially, that we can assist more and see God's glory come. And you know what? It does take finances. It does. It's a reality. And so we're calling the church, but all this is is just an opportunity to partner over the next weeks. It's called Sowing in Summer. Maybe we can go to the next slide, Marcus. And um, it's... Uh, yeah, it, and this is the reason why. You see these kids? I love the scripture, that the generation to come might know God's praiseworthy acts, that the children still to be born might arise and recount them to their children. I'm prepared to invest in stories that keep investing so that the kingdom of God keeps coming, so that our kids have a story to step into, that they would know the name of Jesus, that more churches, churches would be planted in, in wealthy suburbs and poor suburbs, in, in, in English Afrikaans, um, Akosa, every language of the world, every country of the world. We want to keep making sure that the gospel is being proclaimed that the name of Jesus is lift high and that our kids have a story to be a part of. The kids that are yet to be born and the ones after them. That we keep investing in seed. There's so much of what we spend our finances, energy, time, talents, treasures on is in the here and now and about us. I'm saying part of the series is let's make it not about us. Let's make it about him. Nothing to do with the life changer's name. Yeah. Nothing to do with, with our comfort. And, and none of this money will go to your comforts here on a Sunday. So that's the test. It's easier to get people to give where their comforts will be benefited. It just is but we're not doing that. This is about not us. 
And so a couple of just details that will be helpful for you. The next slide, please, Marcus. Um, actually, yeah, next one. It's, it's sowing beyond our borders, kingdom advancements, and uh, the poor in our midst and at our city, future generations. Last slide. So how to give, it's, 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 uh, the call is to, this is not part of our tithing, our giving, however you want to regulate uh, giving. This is about above and beyond that, into more than what God is doing. You can do it through EFTs, you can do it through giving cash, you can do whatever, however you feel that you'd like, and please reference it so that we are very clear as to what that finance is for, and we can allocate it, and um, Sharon does all that for us. Is that all right? Isn't that, uh, that's exciting. Yeah. And we did this last year, and we've been able to facilitate the finances, and as we do it, the full report next year, and give feedback. I honestly don't think church finances is some big secret. To me, it's not. We have to be able to engage these things and call people to partner. But this morning, I want to just speak about the multiplier effect, and um, it's a simple story that it's a well-worn text, and um, I'm not going to read, I'm going to paint the picture and then go through a few of the scriptures, and it's from this incredible text in Luke 9. What is it, Jonah? Luke 9, just... What is it? No. <laughs> it's the story where Jesus is walking and, and he tells his disciples, come, let's, let's go away from here to a town called Bethsaida. And the crowd follow him and they build and they build and build until they, it says 5,000 people, but that was only the males. So it's probably about 20,000 people. And then this unbelievable miracle unfolds. A miracle of multiplication that we all love and we, we think it's amazing. But inside there's a couple of key scriptures and a couple of key points that I want to just point to that are simple text but powerful. In verse 10, it says this, when the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. So this is the, t- the apostles, they've been ministering, they've been doing great things. They come to Jesus and the first thing that they give the energy is, hey, look at what we've done. My boy comes back to soccer practice. It's his first soccer practice. Other kids have been there for years. I say, how was it, boy? He says, I think I might have been the best there. (laughs) What am I doing as a parent? But it's all part of it. He's very honest and not lacking in confidence. um, But the reality is we have this default to making every story about us. Every story about us. And... um, It seems that, I would say my first point is this, as always, in probably almost every preach and almost every story, the first point is this, it's not about us. It's just not about us. And the disciples come to Jesus and they're already in the wrong frame of mind. They've already missed the point. It's not about what they've done. It literally says this, they start telling him about what they have done. We so get stuck in where we've been and what we've done. We get stuck there. I've driven this. I've done this. I've been here. I've served here. It's someone else's time. And the reality is that mindset and that engagement point of coming to Jesus is always a point that we get stuck in. The fact is this, that you and I are just stewards of everything. The Bible says, actually, that we are stewards of the mysteries of God in 1 Corinthians 4. And Peter speaks um, in 1 Peter 4, verse 10, says, we are good stewards of God's varied grace. What does that mean? It means that in one room and in one church, God has varied his grace that some would be wealthy and some wouldn't. Some would be incredibly clever and some just good people. (laughs) Like me. Just read the Bible, and that's what it says. It's helpful. And and God says, actually, there would be all these varied graces. But here's the trick. None of it is mine. These amazing little kids, 
that I call sons, they're not mine. They're for him, for his glory, and for his kingdom. That honestly, I believe it with every fiber of my being. My finances, every single cent of it is his. I'm just a steward. I'm a steward, and you are a steward too. And a steward comes from the, the word oikonomia, oikonomia. And it means to be a, the ruler over a household. And in Hebrew times, you would have this ruler. He would be a slave who would rule over the household and the kingdom, make decisions, executive decisions. But the challenge would only come in when he would step beyond his authority into arrogance or pride. Here's the challenge when we stop stepping beyond our authority as stewards. We stop taking ownership. And then what we do, like the disciples, we start talking about what we have done. Or I've worked really hard for this, or I've worked. Yes, but God has graced you, and at the end of the day, it's not a bank account that you're taking to heaven. At the end of the day, it is the words of a father you'll spend eternity with. And he says, how was my faithful steward? And you said, well, actually, I really like the finer things in life. And so I spent it on that. He says, oh, that's amazing. I play this out for myself. Every time, every financial decision, every emotional decision, every energy decision, there is a stewardship aspect that God calls on. And if we get stuck on keeping talking about what we have done, maybe you've served the Lord for 40 years and been faithful. I watched my own parents. 30 years they gave. 30 years they partnered. 30 years they, And you know what happened? They got liquidated. And we're sitting down and we're part of their financial story as the kids now and we have to negotiate. I'm sitting and they send us a budget just so we can help. And in that budget, 10 years after being liquidated with very little in the bank, giving, generosity, in their plan. They've never stopped. Why? Because at the other side of eternity's work, there's a king waiting to glorify them. And give them glory. And I've watched that and I've had the privilege of being a son of that. And the issue is when we take our eyes off Jesus, we're in trouble. The second point is this, is that Jesus' big thing in his word is the kingdom of God. He says, he welcomed them, them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. See, we want to jump to, go to the bread part, Mark, but you've got to look at the story. You've got to see what is he doing. He's teaching them about the kingdom of God. He's teaching them that the kingdom of God is so different to the kingdom of this world. The cycle that we want to kick into of fear and scarcity is not the one he's called us to. That's a kingdom of God cycle in another way called the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus is saying, I want you to get this thing, disciples. I've shown you, I've taught you, I'm walking with you. And he does the same to the church. He says, I want you to get the kingdom of heaven. I want you to understand that the economics are different, that the factors are different, and that the story I pull you into is different. He says, he welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of heaven. Jesus rises from the dead, and he comes back, and he's got 40 days with his disciples. He spends 40 days talking about one thing, the kingdom of heaven. Just one thing. Why? Because we don't get it. Because God's ways are not our ways. Because our defaults are not his defaults. And the only way they become his defaults is about allowing his word to pierce our hearts and allowing our head to start following what his word dictates in our lives. And he pulls us out of a story of smallness into a story of bigness. See, Jesus was obsessed with his father's kingdom. He says, actually, you want, to, you want to worship God? You want to be with Him? Well, actually, He wants to get us on His page. And He's talk, taking His disciples on a journey. And then it carries on. It says, He sent the crowd away 
so they can go to the surrounding villages and countries. So this is, the, this is man's response. This is the disciples' response. The crowd starts building. Jesus is preaching well. The people are coming. They're like, stop it, Jesus. There's more coming. He's like, I can't. This is what I do. He's preaching because he's Jesus. And people are coming. And this is the disciples' response. And maybe it's your and my response sometimes. I know it's mine. It says this, the disciples come to Jesus. They're like, Send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we're in a remote place here. I mean, picture it. The disciples have this job of overseeing the chaos and the crowd just grows. There were 20, now they're 50, now they're 1,000, now they're 20,000 people. And Jesus, at 12 o'clock, they were like, keep preaching, it's fine, he'll stop at 1.30. Then 1.30 comes, 3 o'clock, Jesus still preaching, crowds are still coming, it's 4 o'clock, and the disciples are like, oh, what's going on here, Jesus, don't you know we had a plan? We had a plan, Jesus. 5 o'clock comes, and they're going, Jesus, these guys have got to eat, just, can I chat, you're doing so well, but can you send them away? to go get McDonald's down the road because we haven't got food for them. See, but Jesus doesn't get phased. He understands something that they don't understand, that there is a Father who's got the details. There is a Father who, when we proclaim the gospel and advance in the kingdom of God, there's always a Father who's willing and able to provide, always. And uh, the disciples struggle with this, and Jesus comes back to them, and, and, and why? Why do they want to send, why is it an issue to send the crowds away? Why did Jesus not go, actually, good thinking, Peter? That's the strategist amongst us. That's why we need you to build the church. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus, why? Because the crowd were the gospel opportunity. See, on the every part and every decision in our lives, there is potential. The businessman amongst us would understand a concept of opportunity cost. If I've got 100 rand, I could spend it on a triple bear Burger King Whopper with 7-Up. Um, Is that what they drink there? And if you're clever, you can maybe get in a Malva pudding. I know, because I was there the other night. <laughs> 23 rand for the Malva with ice cream. And, but actually, 100 rand is 10 days food for a family of four. It's the same amount, but different redemptive potential every time. Your life, your energy, your time, your talents, your treasures, if I'd, I'm, not, I'm not preaching well if I'm not reminding you that it has redemptive potential. There's always potential. My kids have redemptive potential. Why? Do, do I love the fact that they are in the homes of people who don't worship our king? Why? Because they have redemptive potential in their lives. And my little boy sits down with their family, sits down today, and my little boy starts saying grace. And they go, well, what is this? They've got choice. Either he's a little weird Christian kid, they can make that choice, or there's something real here. So we end up sitting and talking to a mother in our house the other day for an hour and a half after she arrived to pick up a kid because there's something there, redemptive potential. The crowd were the gospel opportunity. And I want to jump into the story. How does Jesus respond? He says, good strategy, send them away. No, he says this simple and clear. You give them something to eat. You, you give them something. Uh, what? Says, he replied, you give them something to eat. They answered, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish. Unless we go and buy food for all this crowd, about 5,000 men were here. See, most people don't venture into the realm or the economy of generosity because we feel like we actually don't have enough to give. We feel like, and we discount our, our time, our talents, our treasures. We discount the amount that our little bit of giving could change. 
We love to do that to ourselves, and it gives us an out. Too many people die with unmined time, talents, treasures in their lives, and, and un, un, unrealized potential. And Jesus' first response to them is, hey, you know what? I want you to give. You know how I learned this from? There's a man named Becky who was in my life group when I was about 25 years old. I was in the corporate world earning a great salary, and I hosted people every Tuesday night, and I thought that was great. And then it was my birthday. And, and without even thinking of economics and realities of other people around me, I, we invited people to a restaurant. But the restaurant was further away. And I knew Becky was coming, and I kept on phoning, and I was like, where's Becky? And about an hour, hour and a half after we'd got there, Becky arrives carrying a Chateau Gâteau cake. that I happened to know what it cost. And I also organized his job, so I happened to know what his daily wage was. And I knew that that cake cost him more than a daily wage, a day's wage. And I sat there. As this man worked hard, long hours, didn't have money for a taxi, so he walked with a cake to bring to me. And it rocks your realities, it rocks your prejudices, it rocks your comfort zones when you experience the gift of a generous man, not the gift of a wealthy man. We, do, we love to discount, oh, I'm not wealthy, so I'm not potential for generosity. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the gift of a generous man who shakes the mindsets and the smallnesses of a man who has more means, and yet Jesus is revealed. I'll never, ever, ever forget that moment. I don't remember who else was at that dinner except for one man named Becky. I don't remember who was there. I'm so grateful for that man in my story. But I want it to help us because we want the blessing. Remember why we're preaching this series? It's because like we did relationships, on the other side of our unity and gathering and our dwelling together, there's a blessing. There's also a blessing when we become like God in every area of our lives. And here's one thing Jesus said to him, but they come back to Jesus and they say, well, Jesus, there's 20,000 of them. How do you expect us to start five bread and two fish? I mean, it's going to look silly. Your ministry is going to get in a bad name because of this. Someone's going to get on social media, Jesus, and they're all going to find out you didn't cater for your party. It gets awkward. But I want to tell you about a God who brings order in the chaos. And he says to the disciples, have them sit down in groups, about 50 each. The disciples do so, and everyone sat down. Maybe you're saying, I can't kick into the story because there's chaos in my story. Jesus gives us a strategy. He says, take a group of 20,000, split them into 400 groups of 50 each, and start dealing with them one at a time. Don't discount the fact that you might be in a chaotic story now. Allow the bringer of peace into chaos to come into your chaos and bring a simple strategy like take one at a time. And I've actually got an image from someone in our church, and I saw this image yesterday on Facebook. He just... And actually, you can't see his name, so I'm going to leave it like that for now. But, but the post on the, on the statement was, debt, something debt-free, torn up cards, this is a great day. Someone in this church, a young man in this church, a head of a household, cutting up something that's been a challenge for him. Please don't cut up your credit cards if you work them and you're able to manage them. That's not what I'm talking about. This was an individual story. But there's something there about bringing peace where there is chaos. 
And too many are unable to become a generous man. Why? Because there's chaos in our story. And Jesus says, I'm the God of peace. I want to bring peace to your story so that you become like me. Simple. It's the Bible. I don't know what you, when I read the Bible, I just see this thing and go, wow, that's so simple. And yet it's so real. The second, the, the last two points are this. Jesus says to them in verse 16, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. This is Jesus. So Jesus takes five loaves and two fish, looks to the Father in heaven, and he blesses it. But what had already happened? They'd given the five loaves and the two fish. The blessing, the supernatural blessing, the, the, the effect that brings it into a multiplier God story happens after they gave. They could have easily gone there, hey, you know what, we've only got five, sorry Jesus, we've actually been working really hard, we were out there ministering, we're your guys, remember, so we're going to keep these, can you organize some more? No, he says give, and they were disciples, and because they are disciples, they gave, then Jesus blesses. It's really important, I don't know how you read the Bible, but I read the Bible, and I think the way things are laid out about Jesus are important. Jesus blesses the offering and the sacrifice after it's given. I'm full of good intentions, and I'm full of good ideas. But I don't think God can bless good intentions and good ideas. I think God blesses sacrifice and obedience. And he calls us into a story, and he speaks to Abraham, and he gives us promises. I'll make you a blessing so you can be a blessing to the nations. You are blessed to be a blessing. But there'd already been sacrifice, and there'd already been obedience. And God blesses Abraham's sacrifice and obedience. I wish I could take it off you. I wish I could say, hey, you just pitch up and have really good ideas and Jesus will do the rest. But it's not how the Bible presents the multiplier effect of Jesus and the gospel in our lives. And the last one is this that blows my mind. This is the one that gets me. It says this, verse 16, then he gave them to the disciples, the bread that he's blessed, the fish. I'm not, I'm, not, like, I'm not big on fish going through lots of hands. That's not my thing. I don't know about you guys. I like fish that hasn't been touched by lots of hands. But they do that. It says, then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate. Who's all? All 20,000. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. You have a decision. This is either true or it's not. But if you're going to say it's not, then throw out the whole truth. This either happened this way and Jesus was there, or this is a liar. I, I, I wish I could soften it for you. I wish you take the first half, this isn't the second half. Take the, well, I wouldn't take the first half myself, personally. I prefer the second half, but, I, but, but no, you don't get to do that. Jesus either, either is the God who called his disciples, and who are we? Disciples. He called them to give the little that they gave. Why? Because his desire was to bless them and to pull them into a bigger story. We imagine the disciples going around going, where did all this food come from? Where? where? Imagine being that guy. Like, I remember the loaves and I remember the fish, and now they are basketfuls. I don't think his conversation the next day would have been, how was that rugby? I honestly don't. I think his whole dynamic and his whole reality would be completely changed. Why? Because in one act of obedience, God was able to bring a blessing and pull them into a story much greater than they would ever known. But here's the miracle. It says, Jesus blessed them, then he gave them to the disciples, and they distributed it to the people. 
The miracle happens in their hands, not in his. Jesus didn't pray and boom, 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 like popcorn. The bread just starts just like. <laughs> yeah, guys. No. It says he takes five loaves and two fish. He puts it in their hands. And in their hands, a miracle starts to happen as they break. In their hands. I want these hands to see miracles with my time, my talents, my treasures, my children. My everything. I want to see the miracles. Why? Because that's the picture Jesus gives us. He says, actually, you'll see miracles in your hands when you become like me, even in your limited resources. That's what the story is about. It's the highlight of the story. And I saw that. I was like, the miracle happens in their hands. And some of us are so good at discounting our ability to step into more of God. If I just do the basics, I'll get into heaven. And here's the reality. You will. If you receive Jesus in your heart, if you accept him as Lord and Savior, and you just walk that road, you will. But the promise of the gospel is we worship a God whose desire is to bless us. He's a father, and he says, but I can't do it all on my own. It demands some faith. And even if you've got copper coins like a little lady who put them in the offering, or you've got fish and bread and loaves, or you've got millions, somewhere in the dynamic, there's got to be faith, and there's got to be sacrifice. And it's your initiation that allows and facilitates our ability to step into a God's story. We finished the series now. We're done. And again... I want to remind you, the heart and the passion and the desire, this is a generous church. But the heart and the passion is there's much more for us. Why do a sowing and summer offering that we won't benefit from? Oh, I'd love cushy seats. Can't we do an offering for that? I'll buy five. The challenge is then what happens next is we're on plaques on the back and we're on our names. Why? Because we're not meant to be at the center of our giving. And as those fish and those loaves were distributed amongst the 20,000, no one would have gone... This was Peter's loaf. I can, he had sesame seeds on his loaf. No, it wouldn't happen. They would have gone, wow, Jesus. Wow, Jesus. Wow, Jesus. From my life, I want people to go, wow, Jesus. And from your life, I want people to go, wow, Jesus. Why? Because there's faith in our story. And on the other side of our faith, there is a nation waiting of people who desire him. And there's that scripture that pulls us. It's for the generations that are still to come. I have not met a man or a woman who are approaching their death, death time. And there isn't a thought of, well, what is my legacy? And people are starting legacy funds and they're doing that and they want their name all over the legacy fund. I don't want my name over any legacy fund. I want his name exalted over any legacy in my life. That if people look back on my life one day, that man knew Jesus, that man trusted Jesus, and that man lived a life where Jesus got exalted. That would be the greatest legacy of my life. And sure, the Bible does say, actually leave an inheritance for your children. It does say that, and it's a financial inheritance. Do that. But here's the thing, God is more committed to your children than you could ever be. Way more committed. And if we believe the stuff and we allow it into not just our heads, but we allow it to drop from our heart, the, the classic coin drop that doesn't happen often, if the Spirit of God would do that in our hearts, I promise you, we'll see miracles in our hands and we'll see miracles in the hands of this community out there. Can I pray for us? Jesus, thank you for your church. I thank you for your commitment to your church. Think of all these amazing little kids, Lord. 
Here's the amazing thing about that picture. And some of those kids there, right now, they're actually challenges. Challenges. And yet you place them in community and you give them a hope and a story, not on a Sunday, God, but that will resound into their destinies. I look at Jerry, and, and I can give him a hard time because he's my friend, but actually he's a man who said yes to Jesus many, many, many times. And he said no to a whole bunch of other things as well. And I'm grateful for that, God. And I pray, even as we close this series now, that, that something would shift in our DNA, something would shift in our thinking, something would diff, shift in our cultural and, and communal ways, that this is what we do. We just want to be like him to be like you, God, so that you get all the glory. But there is a selfish motivation. We want to see miracles in our hands, God. We want to see multiplication in and through our lives, in our children, that the stories don't add up, but you get all the glory, King. So we worship you today. We give you honor. We give you praise. And I pray, Spirit of God, would you work in our hearts? Would you keep some up at night as you have with myself? as you are speaking your truths over us. I pray where there's pain in financial stories and maybe even chaos right now. Even that picture of, of credit cards cut up is an envious picture. I pray, God, would you give people the strategies the way you did for the disciples and would you bless it? And would you allow us to see miracle after miracle after miracle because you are a miraculous God. We say do it again and do it again. Mighty King, we give you all the glory, all the honor, all the praise. Amen.